more smiles for the last damn time. Why not wait for the wild card? Burning a hole in your hand. Digging a hole in the ground. In a vast graveyard. Welcome to episode 1913 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I'm joined as always by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, I almost muddled my way through, but we're here now. How are you? Sounded seamless and flawless to me. I shouldn't admit my mistakes is maybe the takeaway. Yeah, yeah usually when you do, I didn't even detect yeah. the, the stumber, stumble or anything. <laughs> the stumber. <laughs> that oh. was a mix between a stumble and a stammer is yep. a stumber. Well, anyway, <laughs> here we are. We're recording a podcast. I have secured groceries for the coming week. We're officially in that time of year where it's like, I have exactly one hour. I have to go do something that doesn't involve my job because otherwise, who knows when I'll get another opportunity. The postseason, it's almost upon us. Yeah, you're like a postseason and prepper you're stocking up (laughs) (laughs) piling up cans in the closet yeah because otherwise like how will i have soup (laughs) right well i have overindulged on playoff previews oh i read a whole bunch of them and i feel like i spoiled myself i just i know what's going to happen now it's like when i watch a a trailer that is too revealing of the movie and i feel like oh i should not have watched that i should have waited for the theater well now i read the baseball prospectus previews i read the fangrass previews Reviews. I read some Joe Sheehan preview content. I read some Joe Posnanski preview content. And now I just know how it's all going to end. Yeah. And why even bother? I just, I couldn't wait. I was so excited for the playoffs to start. I just, I thought, I'll just read a couple previews. It'll just be a taste. It won't actually ruin anything. And now I just feel like I know exactly who's going to win and exactly how it's going to happen. So don't make the same mistake that I did. Wait until the playoffs start because otherwise before first pitch, you'll just know how it's going to go. I have only read our previews and I will admit to you, Ben, I haven't even read all of them. That's what happens Mm -hmm. when you have an editorial like team. You don't have to edit all the stuff yourself because John edited some of them. I don't know why I'm yelling, (laughs) but like I was so busy editing our previews and other uh, sundry content that went up today, so many things at Fangraphs.com, that I haven't read other people's previews. I'm sure they're all excellent. Are there any points of disagreement amongst (laughs) the various prognosticators that you read today? It seems like the point of agreement is that no one actually thinks they know anything, (laughs) which is which is wise. And I was kidding about being spoiled because I have no idea what will happen. No one, no one does. None of us does. So I am looking forward to it. I am familiar with some strengths and weaknesses and some players who had surprisingly good or bad seasons. I had not paid that close attention to, but no, there's no way to spoil the postseason with previews the way that one can with a movie. And it's tough because it's a three-game series. Right. So if it were a one-game wildcard series, if you can call that a series, you probably can't. 
then no one would probably even bother to do previews. I guess we've had wildcard previews yeah. before because what are we you have, talking about? Yeah, we have Zips projections and we have uh, Pakoda projections and we have people pretending that they can predict something about a single game. I guess the lesson is that there will be preview content no matter what the format because uh, people want to read it. Yeah, see, here's the <laughs> thing, Ben. People, they want to read the preview content. Websites, yeah. they want to run some content. It is the yeah. perfect... It is like uh, two great tastes that taste great together. You give the people mm-hmm. what they want. They give you a click or or perhaps a purchase a membership. Everybody walks away happy. There's no shame in it. I think the people, when it was one game, properly caveated that like, it's one game, a lot can happen in one game. Weird, weird stuff happens in the one game. And now we're like, it's three games, weird stuff happens in the three games. But here are some <laughs> of the things that could happen based mm-hmm. on guys... Uh, having done stuff in more than three games, you know, seems right. seems fine. Yeah, it is very difficult to evaluate teams in the playoffs and actually identify some sort of X's oh, and yeah. O's, strengths and weaknesses that are not incredibly obvious or that actually pertain to that specific matchup. Right. And there are only so many ways you can go with that. There are a few strategies, right? You can try to drill down and look at, say, pitch type performance so this team is good against fastballs this team is bad against fastballs although I don't know how predictive that actually is I seem to recall Sam writing about that and maybe not being persuaded that it was so predictive you know this team hits good velocity well well I don't know (laughs) maybe now the sample size would be bigger because there's so much good velocity but you can do that or there's a lot of platoon Content. This team hits well against righties. This team hits well against lefties. Here's some important matchups that this reliever might have against this righty leaning lineup, let's say. I may be thinking specifically about the Mariners, sure. <laughs> the Blue Chase, and yeah. their righty leaning lineup. Yeah. But of course, as Joshian sometimes says, variance swamps everything. So yep. all you can do is just. Point to it, you know, often it, it ends up you're just kind of like listing the good players. Right, yeah. <laughs> like this team's got this guy, he's pretty good. And this team, they've got that guy. Now he's pretty good too. So there's only so much insight you can offer. But I thought that the Fangraphs previews that I read did their best with an impossible task. It's like a, an umpire behind home plate. You know that they can't call all the pitches oh, correctly. Sure. They're just not good enough. The human eye cannot actually yeah. see the pitches cross the plate at the exact moment that they do with enough clarity to catch everything perfectly. Sure. And of course, the human prognosticator cannot prognosticate correctly about a three-game series. But you can at least make Pill familiar with the players <laughs> and sure. some of the storylines. And that can be fun. And it's a way that you can waste half an hour at work if you're at the office. Yeah, I think that like, you know, it's it's sort of like the Taylor Tomlinson joke about Father's Day cards. It's like, this is a game. These are some baseball players. Here's a series, you know, like you're just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is these are the guys who are going to be there. And some yep. of them will do well, and others of them will do poorly. Some untold number across all of them will, uh, you know, like, how do we want to say be boring? (laughs) But we don't want to predict that because we're hoping everyone's really jazzed and excited. So there you go. Yeah. What I've gleaned from reading a lot of these previews is that you have a best of three series here. All you have to do is win two games. And Almost every team has two good starters, (laughs) at least, where you feel pretty good about the top couple of guys. And there are some teams where depth is their strength. Of course, you can point to, say, the Mariners again and say, oh, they have four pretty good starting pitchers and they can't use them all, at least not as starters in this series. So 
that's leaving a little advantage on the table potentially. But there are a lot of teams where you look at the top two or or top three and you say, well, I don't want to face them. You could be on your ass out of the playoffs before you know what happened to you. And you just played for six months to get there and then you ran into Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie or Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman or, you know, on and on. Every team, almost every team has a a couple of guys, whether it's uh, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. It's like, oh, this could be over really quickly, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Because all they have to do is win those two games. Again, groundbreaking analysis that I'm providing here. You got to win two out of three. What? Yeah. See, it's a three-game series. The team that wins two will advance. What? Yeah, so you got to win two before- But not not just one? You have to win two? They don't have to be consecutive. Oh, so you don't have to win- You could win the first one and then lose the second. You might play three even though you only have to win two. Exactly. Yeah, you might have to- Yeah, it's complicated. No, it is. (laughs) (laughs) This is the, the level of analysis you can expect out of Effectively Wild this month. can we do the bit before people turn off the pod? <laughs> it's tough. It's a tough month because it's a yeah. fun month. It's an exciting month, but it's also the month when not that we're offering analysis of a high level on, on every episode <laughs> that is uh, you know prescient and predicting the future. Sometimes we're just talking about nonsense a lot of the time, yeah, like actually. My, my teeth, you know, for 20 minutes, it bothered at least one person. <laughs> it wasn't that long, was it? It I doesn't don't seem that, even, that long in my mind. Ben, I don't go back and listen to the podcast. <laughs> are you kidding? I only have so many hours in the day. Yeah, most of them are spent recording the podcast. Right, so. exactly. If I, if I were to listen back to all of our pods after having recorded them, I am doubling my podcast time. And, mm-hmm. you know, arguably I spend exactly as much, if not too much time on the pod already. <laughs> I will say, though, that I really like this playoff field, and I made this point the other day, and I mentioned some of the the high points of the players and the teams who were in this postseason. I was reading at the ESPN Plus site, David Schoenfeld had sort of the the same kind of piece where I was feeling very optimistic and positive, too, where he said that this playoff field is maybe the greatest in an MLB postseason ever. And what I was getting at is that you just got so many teams in there that you can find good stories and fun players. And that's the upside of this new playoff format. David is higher on this playoff format than I am, but I think we agree that because there's all this variety, it's like, oh, yeah, I could root for them. Right. Like, if they advanced, that would be fun. Yeah. There's just more of a, a sampler, a bigger platter of appetizers here where I say, oh, this is a nice little amuse-bouche, and now I want to see the rest of this team continue to play right. in the playoffs. And unfortunately, we will have to bid farewell to some of them quite quickly. But as he noted, you have the powerhouses, so you have – The New York teams, right? If you're a New Yorker and you care about that kind of thing, most of the rest of the country probably does not. But you have some potential for a Subway Series and there's the rivalry there and both of those teams are pretty good. And you have the teams that everyone loves to hate. You have the Yankees. You have the Dodgers. And even though the Dodgers are a super team, as we have discussed, and they won 111 games and they had the highest run differential since the 1930s, they still feel vulnerable as we have noted, because of some injuries and shorthandedness and just it feels like they could be beaten, which you could say about every team in every postseason. But 
more so than you would think with a 111-win team. So no one feels invincible, even by baseball standards. And yet you have some really good teams. You have some good storylines. You have the Dodgers-Astros rivalry, such as it is. You have Atlanta potentially repeating and Mm -hmm. really just pouring it on and overtaking the Mets. And then you also have... Aaron Judge, a notable player of this regular season, he's still in the playoffs, and who knows what he will do and how many home runs he will hit and add to the story of the season. And then you have the Cardinals, and look, a lot of non-Cardinals fans, they're sick of seeing the Cardinals in the playoffs every October. You got to hand it to them. You got to tip your cap, but a lot of people would prefer to tip the Cardinals out of the playoffs entirely, except that this year, how can you root against the Cardinals? I mean, very easily, I'm sure, but... Albert Pujols, Yair Molina, Adam Wainwright potentially too. These guys going out together, one last ride. Pujols, not just a sentimental story, but actually good and important to this playoff team. Yeah. Just a lot of good storylines. And as I noted, of course, you have the Mariners and you have the Phillies, teams that have not been in it for a long time. And you have teams that have not won it ever with the Rays and the Mariners and the Padres and the Guardians for an extremely long time. So just a, a lot that I'm kind of looking forward to. And that's not analysis of who's going to win this series and what's the strength and what's the weakness. But I think it does just speak to, hey, we're in for a pretty fun ride here. Rookies too. A lot of really good rookies this year, just more rookies than ever. More players debuted this year than in any previous season by a lot. Yeah. And also, as I will be writing shortly, there have been just a ton of prospects promoted this season, like an unprecedented number in the prospect ranking era. And so I guess it stands to reason that if you have a whole bushel of big leaguers come up and a lot of them are highly touted, that you would also have a really strong crop of, of good productive rookies too. And A lot of them, most of them, are in the playoffs, and so you can look forward to hopefully seeing Spencer Strider at some point, and Michael Harris, and Julio, and Stephen Kwan, and Brendan Donovan, and the list goes on, like lots of new, fresh faces who are pretty important contributors. So I am quite excited for this, not so much for trying to figure out something useful and insightful to say about specific series or games. Once we get down to the game level, that always feels to me like, okay, this is what we just, we do. We switch over into this mindset in October, but it would feel so foreign to do that during the regular season, even though there's only so much more you can glean from a single playoff game than a single regular season game. So (sighs) it's going to be weird. It's going to be wild and busy and hectic. And we will just try to keep pace because especially in the early rounds, there's no convenient time to record a podcast that is not immediately out of date. Yeah, I think our approach, well, for like for the wild card, our approach is going to be that we are going to record on on Sunday at some time. Yeah, we'll try. Mm -hmm. You know, sometime on Sunday, depending on what unfolds tomorrow and Saturday, because Ben, did you know you have to win two games? Oh, right. Oh, yeah. I think I read this in one of the the previews. Two, but they don't have to be in a row. And so it's possible that there will be games on Sunday if teams don't win two in a row, but still have to win two games as they have to do. You know, they have to win two, but not in a row. So we will record sometime on Sunday, depending on stuff. Like if if everybody (laughs) wins two in a row, who's going to win two? (laughs) <laughs> then we'll just do a little recap and maybe look ahead to the 
the division yeah. series. But nice and easy, mm-hmm. right? But if not, then we will record, and some number of series will be undetermined, and we will just uh, do our very. We'll just do our level best. You know, <laughs> we'll give it the old college try. We'll give it a try. We'll give it some kind of try. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's tough also because you wonder what the shelf life is of a podcast that yeah. is either previewing a series that will be over by the time that <laughs> people realize that the podcast is published right? or you're talking retrospectively about a game or a series that everyone's moved on to the next one, as opposed to our typical podcasts, which just infinite shelf life. I mean, just evergreen, like, you know, bronze it and just put it on the shelf in the museum or stick it in amber, pull it out in centuries. It will be just as relevant and trenchant as it ever was. But the sole exception to that is in October when we actually try to keep pace with the playoffs and it's impossible. So yeah. try to just, you know, talk about some some storylines some interesting things that happen that may not be what do you think will happen in this game that will be over by the time you download and listen to the podcast. We'll do our best. This is not our first rodeo. No. We have been through the playoffs before. Yeah. And, you know, this is so nice, Ben, because last year, for very good reason, you were a, a you know, only a partial participant in That's right. In I got out of the playoff pod almost entirely. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, remain so happy for you guys that you got to spend time with your, your beautiful baby. <laughs> and also, I will admit selfishly, this is much easier for me. And I think, you know, delightful for our listeners that they get to hear your keen insights. Like, for instance, that you have to win two out of three games in a, in a three-game yeah. series. So yeah. I think that it is to everyone's benefit that you guys decided not to reproduce again uh, at least right now you know i'm not gonna have any kind of opinion about your future choices but this one was conveniently timed so good job yes yes congratulations on the lack of procreative sex (laughs) thank you so i do have something non-playoff related to share here i landed an exclusive direct message interview with the author of stephen vote's wikipedia page (gasps) Yeah, getting the the big guests here. You're not going to get these scoops anywhere else. One day it's Scott Boris. One day it's Ben Gibbard. One day it is the author of Stephen Vogt's Wikipedia page. And I thought this would be timely because Stephen Vogt just retired. He just played his last game. He homered in his last game. Yes. Nice way to go out. And Patrick Dubuque wrote a little baseball eulogy for him at Baseball Prospectus. People like Stephen Vogt. They just, they like the guy. Yeah. I'll read a little bit here from Patrick, who said, Vote was an average baseball player and an average guy, which was why the Oakland faithful treasured him. Whatever barriers between the fans and the players seemed to waver near him. When he roamed right field as a rookie, the fans created a chant for him, We believe in Stephen Vote. The simplicity of it made it work. Sports are so false. We create so much hype, so much drama, wrap everything in a thousand layers to make ourselves smart or dumb and excited. With Vote, it was never necessary. Just salt of the earth, Stephen Vote, And I know A's fans were happy to have a recognizable player back on that team. Yeah. And this came to our attention some years back. I know that we mentioned it on an episode. Gosh, I think it was in 2016, potentially. There was a, a stat blast about the longest Wikipedia player pages for mm. baseball players 
And we had run some analysis or a, a listener had at the time and had determined just the the longest word counts and also the number of bytes on the page, like just the number of data. And unsurprisingly, Babe Ruth's Wikipedia page, I think, had the most bytes and the most words. But sure. Stephen Vogt was up there, <laughs> you know, higher than you would expect Stephen Vogt to be. And not only that, but we couldn't count the citations, the references at the bottom of the page. So you have to scroll and scroll and scroll. It is the most thorough, comprehensive Wikipedia page you may have ever seen, certainly for a baseball player, but maybe for anything. It just I'm still scrolling. It goes down and down and down. There are currently 340 references on the Stephen Vogt Wikipedia page. 340? 340. No. Yeah. You just, made that up. No, it must be every piece published in Stephen Vogt's life about wow. Stephen Vogt. It is basically an account of what he was doing every second of <laughs> of his life, of his day. And it is just the most thorough accounting of, of someone's existence that you can imagine. And Stephen Vogt, why Stephen Vogt? We wondered, or at least I wondered at the time. So I have gotten in touch with the author who was uh, tweeting about this, and I was copied on the tweets at some point, and his name is Colin McAvoy, and I just messaged him in honor of Stephen Vogt's retirement, and I said, you wrote the, the famous Stephen Vogt Wikipedia page? And <laughs> he said he didn't know about famous, but yes. And he also wrote the Stephen Matz Wikipedia page, which is similarly long and exhaustive. And that was on the list somewhere toward the top of the leaderboard, too. And so I conducted a little Twitter Q&A here with Colin just about what moved him to make the Wikipedia pages for Stephen Vogt and, and Stephen Matz. Yeah. Is it just Stevens? Is there something else that they have in common here? And what moved him to make them so incredibly comprehensive. And I'll just share a few things that that he shared with me. So he says he hasn't edited in a few years. Sadly, it's a hobby, but his Wikipedia activity ebbs and flows. He had kids, made it tougher, but he'd love to get back into it and will eventually. Those are actually the only two baseball players he's done, Vote and Mats. He did a hockey player named Jesper or, or Jesper Fast and also an article about a, a season of the Hershey Bears AHL team, a hockey team. And if you look at it, you can see Colin has a signature style. They're just like whatever he is uh, going to make a Wikipedia page about, there are going to be many, many citations and references. And he says that the 2012 to 2013 Hershey Bears season is probably more detailed than most season articles about actual NHL teams. Wow. He's not just limited to sports, though. Most of his editing, not sports, lots of pop cultures and movies and TV and music and Star Wars. So we talked about Star Wars a little uh -huh. bit, but he has an archive here. His Wikipedia username, it looks like, is Hunter Khan, and most of the stuff that he has worked on is, is listed, and there are a lot of green circles and yellow stars to indicate that these were peer-reviewed and deemed to be high quality wow. and awarded designations, good article and featured article. So I asked, why vote and Matt's? And he said, it's funny because I'm a Mets fan and there are plenty of players I like more than those guys, but sometimes I just get it in my head to write about a somewhat random topic and it's off to the races. <laughs> Vote I just always liked. 
good player, but as I read about him, I saw he's also a good dude for his team behind the scenes, always helping his teammates out, funny guy, and of course a fan favorite in Oakland. He just seemed like an interesting guy to research and write about. Mats I wrote about because I went to a Mets game in 2019 where he threw a Maddox and he really impressed me and it just ended up leading to me reading about him and writing the article. He used to be a reporter. He co-wrote a couple of true crime books with his wife. So he enjoys researching and reporting and writing. And he understands uh, sourcing and attribution. And he tends to get obsessive about his hobbies, something I would know nothing about. (laughs) Can't identify it all. And he says that makes Wikipedia a good fit for him. So I asked 340 references, how long does that take? So he did not create the page. He just dramatically expanded it. And he says it took him about a month, maybe, just to build out the full Stephen Vote Wikipedia experience. And he can't track all the edits because he did most of the writing outside of Wikipedia and then added it all in. But there is a, an archived before and after photo of the state of the page before and, and after he layered in all these references. When he found it, it was 30 references and about 1,100 words. And when he left it, it was 332 references and about 8,000 words. So wow. he finished writing it in December 2019. So I guess we talked about it maybe a few years ago, not several years ago. And it was nominated for a good article in May 2020, and then he made some minor edits there. Actually, he says they made him remove some stuff (laughs) because they said there was too much detail, TMI, about Stephen Vogt. Really? And he has not really continued to keep it up to date since then. He feels uh, derelict in his duties, but he really did a a thorough job. And I asked him if he still, a few years after this, feels like an authority on Stephen Vogt, at least on Stephen Vogt's life up through 2019. And he says, well, I've got to be fairly high on the list, at least, (laughs) right? which is probably true. I don't know if anyone has has written a biography of, of Stephen Vogt, but this is basically it. And he said... Part of him hoped that Vote or Matt's would contact him and, and tell him that they read it, but that hasn't happened. He says he has had that happen before with other people he has edited Wikipedia articles about, say, actors, for instance. Some of them sent him autographs to, to say thank you for the, the thorough curation of their pages. And I would say, Stephen Vote, if this message reaches you, I think Colin would not say no to a, a token of your appreciation. I, I think maybe a, a signed baseball or something could be in order here. And glad that I could uh, connect here with with Colin. Like they're just you know more references than I think probably any baseball player you could find, any extremely notable baseball player. And this has been kind of a question in my mind. I, I guess I could have reached out to Colin or, or contacted him through Wikipedia potentially earlier, but it was always kind of in the back of my brain. I wonder why, Stephen Vote. I wonder what person would apply this level of diligence to Stephen Vote's Wikipedia page. And now I know, Colin McAvoy. Wow, it's um, it's just you know. <laughs> I've often thought about like how little interest I would have in a person I don't know chronicling my life, but also I'm not a famous person and I'm not a professional athlete, so like you know it would feel stranger to me because I just do this podcast and like 
write words on the internet sometimes. So like, <laughs> you know, I'm occupying a different strata of knownness than <laughs> Stephen Vote. And so I would imagine that if you are in a, a strata of knownness as Stephen Vote is, like it would be nice to have someone do it well because otherwise, yeah. you know, you get all this nonsense on the internet to the extent that there's anything on the internet about you at all. So I think mm-hmm. it's a nice thing to like really do a job well. It's good to to commit to an honest chronicling of a person and, and to be receptive to the feedback that it's like, I don't need people to know this much about me. So can you take that part out? Like that right. just, it strikes me as the right balance on this sort of thing. Everyone I know in baseball who has interacted with Stephen Vogt for any length of time at all thinks that he's just like one of the truly good baseball guys and mm-hmm. that he is almost certainly destined to manage for potentially a long time. Oof, that's going to require some sourcing and citation needed on that one. Well, I can't and... give away my sources, Ben. <laughs> well, there will have to be many more references added if yeah. he starts a second career as a, a major league manager. Well, it appears in his Wikipedia that there is mention of him wanting to manage. So, oh, of course. How now? <laughs> Hoisted on your yeah. own petard, aren't you? Colin has anticipated that yeah. second phase of his career that doesn't surprise me (laughs) so yeah yeah right he's a player like you look at his war and you just sort of shrug because he's been a big leaguer for for quite some time but has not amassed high wars and yet he has left an impact on the people he played with and played in front of just you know people like Stephen Vogt and Colin McAvoy was moved to (laughs) adorn his Wikipedia page with hundreds and hundreds of references. He actually, he did this for Rose Tico, also the Star Wars character from the sequel trilogy, gave her the full Colin McAvoy treatment. She didn't have a Wikipedia page, which uh, seems like a, a big oversight and... He felt that this was a a wrong that should be righted, and I agree. And so now Rose Tico has a longer page than Luke Skywalker and Han Solo combined. (laughs) So just making up for J.J. Abrams not giving her any lines in The Rise of Skywalker. Now she has a, a longer Wikipedia page than some of the core characters. So, you know, your mileage may vary and your appetite for Rose Tico Wikipedia content or Stephen Vogt or Stephen Matt's Wikipedia content may vary, but... It's just it's one of the wonders of the world in the niche part of the internet world that we are in, the Stephen Vote Wikipedia page. And so farewell, Stephen Vote. I wish you a happy quote unquote retirement. Except yeah. that you probably, probably will not see be you again. retiring. <laughs> You'll be retiring as a player, but then transitioning into the next phase of your baseball career, which I am confident will be chronicled by Colin or someone else at your Wikipedia page. Well, I'm just happy that someone is treating Rose Tico with some care and affection. Yeah, it's about a lot time. of other nonsense out there associated with poor Rose. She got exactly. short. She got yeah. short shrift by JJ. Yes, we're not gonna is, we're not uh, gonna that's... unpack the the short <laughs> no. shrift that JJ issued to many a Star Wars character, but she got short shrift, and there's been a lot of nastiness. So I'm glad that mm-hmm. her yeah. Wikipedia is so. Loving and extensive, because goodness that knows that- was part that, of Colin's motivation yeah, for, for tackling that task, yeah. Yeah, need some counterbalancing mm-hmm. to other nonsense. That's what I have mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. Love you, Rose. <laughs> 
All right. So you want to offer any any general impressions or thoughts or feelings about these matchups? I guess we could we could start with your your Mariners, maybe, because oh. I'm sure you have some feelings of some sort on on that subject. <laughs> so just to to recap. You got your Mariners versus your Blue Jays. Yep. You got your Rays versus your Guardians. Yep. You got your Phillies versus your Cardinals. Yep. And you got your Padres versus your Mets. Yep. Fine, fine teams all, fine yep. matchups all. Yep. But as we have covered, one of the teams in each of those series will win two of the two. first three. Yeah. And the upshot is that the team that does not win two will then be eliminated and will not be able to play baseball right. games anymore. Yeah. yeah. So... Well, look, here is my mo- my main thought about this playoff field. I feel pretty uncertain. I've not always been right in the past, but I have felt more <laughs> certain in the past. Does that uh-huh. make sense? So yeah. there's that piece of it. But also, did you know that the Seattle Mariners are playing playoff baseball tomorrow, Ben? That's <laughs> wild. Yeah. I- I'm not ready. You know, we tackled this to some degree when we talked to Jordan, so I don't need to belabor the point, but I expect to be pretty thoroughly miserable, you know, for the next, hopefully, well, it's like, do I hope that it's three days because that implies a competitive series? Do I hope that it's only two days implying that the Seattle Mariners have swept the Toronto Blue Jays? That seems unlikely to me. I think that that Blue Jays team is pretty good. Even... Even though I think that some of their pitching in the past has been not good, I think that a lot of their pitching has been good. I'm very afraid of that lineup for Seattle, even though they also have good pitching. (sighs) You know, I worry about Cleveland being able to score runs, but Mm -hmm. I think that Cleveland's pitching is really superlative, and so I worry about the Rays being able to score runs. I don't want to give away all my predictions. We're going to run a predictions (laughs) post tomorrow at Fangraphs. I have to do that when we're done recording. Remind me. Mm, Got to do that. Also, I have to settle like my rookie of the year vote. I have changed my mind 20 different times today, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, you're running out of time. I'm running out of time. time. I have to do it before first pitch of the first game tomorrow. Or I'm going to have some explaining to do, and then (laughs) I will probably not get a vote ever again. (laughs) You know, so there's that. But anyway, what are my general thoughts? I, like you, am not a huge fan of this format. Like, I was not in favor of expansion for reasons that we've already talked about, so I won't talk about it again. But I will say this, Ben. I'm going to say the following, which is that um, I'm really excited to watch all of these particular teams play postseason baseball. Yeah. You know? I'm thinking that this is a very fun and exciting field. There are some teams that are not in this field where if they were, I'd be like, cool, welcome. Happy to see you, White Sox. Like, what (laughs) happened to you? I mean, we know all the things, but like, whoa. Or Angels, you know, I'd be like, wow, Angels, good to see you. Excited to see Mike Trout. Excited to see Shohei Otani get a playoff start. But guess what? We're not going to get that. We are instead going to get a number of teams that are very fun and exciting. I'm trying to decide if there's one or like the Brewers would be happy to see the Brewers back or, you know, we don't have to talk about the teams that aren't going. What are you doing, Meg? None of those teams are in the (laughs) stupid playoffs. So talk about the ones that are. I'm going to ask you a question so that I start stop rambling. What matchup in the wild card round are you most excited? Like not specific like pitchers against one another, although you could talk about that too, I guess. But which which 
team, which series are you the most excited to sit down and really, you know, like squish the couch down and be like, I'm watching this? I think it probably is Mariners Blue Jays. Oh no, Ben, it's going to be yeah. so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> the only downside is that I would prefer for both of those teams to play a little longer. And yeah. that is not a possibility, no. but they are skilled in, in very different ways i guess you could say and so it's kind of a fun matchup in that sense and that yeah the blue jays lineup will just grind you down it's pretty good from top to bottom yes even though vlad has not quite been the vlad of last year and of late has not even been the vlad of earlier this year but there's still just a ton of firepower in that lineup and there are not a lot of holes whereas with the mariners there are some holes. <laughs> there are at least some spots that are not strengths, let's say. So there's that. But the Mariners, I would be much more afraid of their bullpen than I would be of the Blue Jays mm-hmm. in front of Romano. Yeah. But also, I would be somewhat afraid of Manoa and, and Gosman. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a scary top two. Whereas I guess I would be less intimidated by any two of the Mariners starters, I would feel better about any three of them, perhaps. Yeah. And certainly any four of them, but they can't play four in this particular series. And really, like, I guess you've got to start Robbie Ray because he's Robbie Ray and yeah. he is well known and he was your big addition and everything. And he's, you know, he's been better. Fine. He's been fine. He's, he's been, been fine. fine. But that lineup is extremely righty heavy, the yep. Blue Jays lineup. Yep. And it, that just yep. seems like. Yep. <laughs> Not an yep. ideal matchup. Uh, yep. So <laughs> I don't know that you could actually avoid this, really, just given all that goes into who gets starting assignments in the postseason. But I might have a, a somewhat quicker hook than one would normally for a pitcher of that stature and salary and so forth, just yeah. because this particular matchup, it, it does not seem conducive to Robbie Ray's success. Right. So like if it were me, it would not. He would just be like, <laughs> I got a cough and I can't because I have a cough. Or like we could, um, because you don't want to put him on the injured list because then he's no. not available for the division series that they might play. So, you know, but like you want to, he could have a migraine, you know, like that's believable <laughs> because if you have, I can't imagine a worse place to be than a playoff sporting event. If you had a migraine, I would simply prefer to become a ghost, you know, Mm -hmm. personally. So, like, they should be like, oh, he unfortunately has a migraine. And so what do we do except instead have Logan Gilbert start and then George Kirby? (laughs) Right. You know, if it were me, like, but I don't get to have a say because I don't have anything to do with it, you know? I'm just a person podcasting. Really? On the other hand, though, you might have some good matchups in the bullpen yeah. if you do have a fairly aggressive hook, as True. you probably should in this series. Yeah. I mean, you have some some pretty nasty guys who would be good fits for those late-inning, right-on-right matchups. I mean, you have your your Seawalds and your Diego Castillos yeah. and your Eric Swansons and your yeah. Penn Murphys and, yeah. of course, your Andres Munoz and these guys – 
kind of scary probably for Blue Jays fans in the late innings in a in a close game. There might be some vulnerability there. Not that I think the Blue Jays have had a huge platoon split themselves as far as I recall. Like They're just a good lineup. They're just a bunch yeah. of good hitters. They can hit righties, but if you have some, some tough righties coming in who themselves will have some platoon advantage, they're still, you know, it's, it's not going to nullify their offensive advantage, but it might mitigate it somewhat. So that's sort of the, the saving grace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a very fearsome lineup. Now, what I would maybe point out if I wanted to be fatalistic about stuff is that like the Seattle bullpen has not been as effective lately, Mm -hmm. you know, as it had been for a while. Like it was like, wow. And now it's like, it's fine. So, but it's also like, it's just recent. I don't know what to do with my hands while I'm talking about this. I don't know how to analyze the Mariners in the postseason <laughs> having a breakdown. I just know that like my logical brain knows that there are places in this series where like Seattle matches up to their own benefit like really well and there are places where it's less good. But like the feelings part of my brain is like they're going to get swept and then I'm going to be sad. So that's <laughs> clouding the logical part. I wonder, you know, if I'm the Mariners, I feel very nervous about really everyone in this lineup hitting. Well, that's not totally true. Like, Julio's great, and Ty France has his moments, and Mitch has been, like, not good lately, but whatever. And then, like, Eugenio Suarez has looked pretty okay since coming back from the injured list, and, like, of course, they have Big Dumper, so why Mm -hmm. am I doubting anything? But, you know, there are vulnerabilities to be exploited here because you're going to get, like, Adam Frazier and, you know, Jared Kelnick is going to have to take... Yeah, Winker's out, right? Right, Winker is out probably for the rest of the postseason. Sam Haggerty, poor Sam Haggerty, Mm -hmm. you know? I was just reminded that Tom Murphy was at one point on this baseball team, which feels like a really (laughs) long time ago. So, you know, I don't know that I've said anything particularly insightful here other than I feel nervous and it's manifesting as like tingling behind my eyes which i hope doesn't mean that i'm about to get a migraine so (laughs) well we can move on to the next (sighs) series because uh you're gonna be suffering enough strain as it is this weekend i imagine it's gonna be so miserable like i have had this thought at various points over the last couple of years when we have had like really tense games or like do you remember Ben, that postseason where the Dodgers and the Red Sox played a game that lasted approximately (laughs) two years. Yeah. It was Mm -hmm. like a 97-inning long game. I think Mm -hmm. that it almost killed Rob Manfred. Like, I think he would prefer to have been a ghost throughout some (laughs) of that. That was what radicalized him. That was his his supervillain origin story that led to the zombie runner. (laughs) He became the Joker. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I remember thinking during that game, I've remembered thinking about this during tense moments throughout the last couple of years of postseason play, like, wow, am I glad that this isn't a team I care about personally doing (laughs) this. And now I've let my dumb human feelings return and I am about to be miserable. Do you know how you're going to do it? Are you going to try to just immerse yourself in in a second screen experience? Are you going to be like on Mariner's Twitter kind of commiserating with everyone and and trying to spread the anxiety around? Or are you going to be like in a little isolation pod? (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, for at least one of, let's see, what am I going to do? What a good question. What am I going to do? Like, what's my- 
20 years to think about it. It's my plan, man. Like, you know, <laughs> what am I going to do with myself? I think that I will start fix yourself a stiff drink perhaps. <laughs> Maybe oh, that would help. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think that will help cuz I have to mm-hmm. I also I have to work, you know. Oh, there's that. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> so, I have to like be able to edit people. Hmm. What am I going to do? Well, I I have two TVs in the living room. So, it'll be a a two-screen experience regardless because you know, there's so much baseball, I've got to watch all of it again because yeah. it is my job. So I think that what I will probably do is not be on Twitter unless it's really happy. And then I might check in and see how people are doing. If it's really mm-hmm. sad, I don't know that I need to compound it with the anxiety machine in my pocket. <laughs> sure. So <laughs> there's that piece of it. But yeah, like, ooh, plus like it's the middle of the day. That game starts in the middle of the day for me. So like that's yeah. also a bad you know, I don't know that I want to like be making cocktails because I got to work and also it's the middle of the day. So right. yep. so anyway, I'm very excited for the Mets and the Padres. Mm. I might be numb by the time that game starts because of the Mariners game presumably being, you know, if not concluded in the waning hours mm-hmm. of it, unless we get an, a nightmare game that lasts forever. But anyway, I'm going to just watch the baseball and maybe eat some of my own hair. I'll just <laughs> right. have to see how it goes, you know. The last <laughs> time that I watched playoff baseball that concerned the Seattle Mariners, I was in high school. Like I was wearing, well, I was wearing flare jeans and those are back now, I'm given to understand. So maybe <laughs> yeah. everything is just the same. But I was like, you know, barely a person. I was still technically, a, I was a minor, you know. I wasn't a child <laughs> anymore, but I was like a young person, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, you know, I, all sorts of things are different now, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please Everything say words so that I shut into up. style after 20 years, right? Including the Mariners making the playoffs right. back in style now. So it's the fashion once again. And I am also excited for, for that Mets Padres series. And again, Mets really good. Should not be overlooked because they ended up just slightly finishing behind the Braves who right. were maybe better. This is still one of the best teams in baseball and, and one of the best Mets teams we've seen. There are some concerns about that top two. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Every team, almost every team is a scary top two. You go into that series and you're facing Scherzer yeah. and then potentially they hold DeGrom back for a a game three or they hope that they don't have to pitch him in game three and he could just start the division series if you win game one. But potentially you have Scherzer and DeGrom back to back, not that Chris Bassett is any slouch, but you know those guys, they're getting on in years. They are not the most durable and they will miss some time here and there. And DeGrom has been what is for him a disconcerting stretch. It it has not been a great few starts to finish the season and everyone's just kind of constantly in a state of alarm and anxiety about Jacob DeGrom because he's the best when he is on the mound, but you're just constantly fearful that he won't be. But as far as we know, he will. And hopefully that will just be a little blip. And then you get playoff DeGrom and Scherzer and, and there's no better top two than those guys if they are reasonably healthy and energetic, which is not a given at this stage. But you look at the Padres and it's like, well, look at what you Darvish has done this year. He's had one of his best seasons. And look at what Blake Snell has done right. for months now. Right. right? And 
I have not been that big a fan of Blake Snell as a pitcher, partly because I, I have just found him frustrating to watch at times because he just like he nibbles a lot and he yeah, goes for chases. And it's not efficient. No, it's not efficient. And, you know, he doesn't go deep into games and we don't have to rehash the whole Blake Snell being pulled in the postseason thing. We may encounter that again soon, but he has been really great and has thrown hard and, and has just looked like his best self a lot lately. And then you yeah. got Joe Musgrove, who's really good too. Yeah. So again, like many teams cannot muster an impressive four or five pitcher rotation, but two or three, yeah, most of them, if they made it this far, they can handle that. So I think you got to give the edge to the Mets here yeah. because of the the top two starters and just because the lineup as a whole it's is fearsome. strong. It is. It is. It's, you know, not quite as, as intimidating as, let's say, the Blue Jays lineup, sure. but it is similarly lacking holes. Yeah. And it's maybe more more pesky than than powerful, but but not exactly pesky in the way that the Guardians are, are pesky. They're like the rich man's Guardians <laughs> or something, like sort of the same in that they make contact, not as much as the Guardians do, but, you know, they get hit by a lot of baseballs and they can also hit for some power. It's maybe a, a bit of a more well-rounded, well-balanced lineup with, with fewer holes in the bottom of it, but a fair amount of contact too. Right. Obviously, they miss Starling Marte. There was a, an update a couple hours ago about Starling Marte. And the reporters asked Billy Epler, was he able to grip things today? And Billy Epler said, he can grip things. <laughs> so congrats to Starling Marte on being able to grip things. Whoa. He has not been ruled out for this series, although clearly he's uh, still seemingly compromised by that injury if it's a victory that he can grip things. But he is a big addition to that team, so not having him lately, that's been a blow. But it's still just a, a pretty deep lineup, and I would definitely give them my my vote of confidence over the Padres, who just, you know, been a bit spotty, have not quite gotten what they wanted and expected out of some of their big additions. And I guess we should do a, a final 2022 regular season Joey Manessis versus Juan Soto update because now the numbers are are set in stone forever. All he had to do was outlast Juan Soto's numbers with the Padres for a couple months, and he actually did do that, and he ended up hitting quite a bit better with the Nationals after Juan Soto was traded than Juan Soto did with the Padres. So 156 WRC plus for Joey Manessis, 13 homers in 240 plate appearances. In contrast to Juan Soto as a Padre, 228 plate appearances, a mere six homers. So Joey Manessis more than doubled the home run output of, of Juan Soto. And Juan Soto had a respectable 130 WRC plus with the Padres, but just not with the, the power or even the batting average that you expect. But it would not surprise anyone if he were a dominant force in these playoffs or if Manny Machado was and there's just a lot of talent on that team, but maybe a few more holes, a few more vulnerabilities, and I would have to give the edge to the Mets in this series for all that that is worth, which is not a whole lot again. And Ben, can you help me understand how many games? Uh, you do need they, a refresher on how the, many games yeah. do they have to win in that series? People are going to okay. be like, "Stop! I'll, don't yeah, do this." I'll bit go again. over this one more time. Yeah, they're going to. So, we're going to get emails about this bet. I can already tell. <laughs> you got to win two. So if the Mets were to say win Max Scherzer's start, okay. they could then press the advantage and okay. they could go for the kill and they could deploy Jacob deGrom because you see if they won the Jacob deGrom game, right. 
it would be over then. Oh. Yeah, that would wow. be it. And okay. they would just advance to the next round. Or they could see if they could win with Chris Bassett and, and maybe hold Jacob deGrom for the first game of the next series. Right. And then potentially get you know, two deGrom starts, right, in that series against, right. against the yeah. Dodgers. Wow. Yeah. Just so everyone's clear on the fundamentals, you know, just, <laughs> just I don't want to take anything for granted. We might have some new listeners and people who are new for baseball who, right. are, who are wondering, so how many games do you have to right. win again? And we got you covered here. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. But yeah, then, too. but then mm-hmm. we should warn those listeners, and we will go over these fundamentals again next. Oh yeah, series. If you advance, everything you changes. Win, yeah, you have to win more games. That's the confusing thing. Yeah, so you, that's... yeah, because you you feel like okay, I've got it down two out of three. They told me repeatedly that this is the way it works, and then people are going to get mad at us because then if you get to the division series, you get to the championship series. It's a whole new ball game. So it's it's many more ball games that you have to win. So just it's for this weekend, just so everyone is clear. And we will update you after that on wow. how many games you have to win in subsequent rounds. Okay. Well, it's good. That's good that we're here to like give people an update because, you yes. know. Yeah. Now, the Rays and Guardians series is kind of interesting to me because those teams are, are mirror images of each other almost in, in some ways. They're probably the most evenly matched maybe of the teams or at least the most similar in some respects and some of that is is the meta narrative about these teams and the player development and the low payroll and right. just the way that they tend to operate but also some hallmarks of of the team itself like the guardians it would not surprise me at all if they went on a, a little frisky run <laughs> over the next few weeks uh, that would not shock me i think that the Rays, it's tough because I just I don't know that I like their offense either, yeah. particularly. And Joe Sheehan made this point that the Guardians just don't give up a lot of hits. They have a good defense. And the Rays just kind of, uh, you know, the playoffs, at least Joe's theory and my theory generally is you want short sequence offenses. You want to just be able to have a bloop and a blast or at least a, a blast. Right. And this year's team, not so much. They don't score that many of their runs on homers. Now, neither do the, the Guardians, of course. I was hipped to the fact that Yandy Diaz has, has had himself quite a season, sort of a, an unusual season, but As offensively. As he is to do. Yeah, but things kind of came together for him. Again, like you look at Yandy Diaz and you did not expect that to be a man who has nine home runs. But despite the nine home runs, he does have a 146 WRC plus this season, which was higher than I would have guessed if you had asked me a few hours ago how high was Yandy Diaz's WRC plus. And he has walked a good deal more often than he has struck out. Again, not the power output that one would expect of a, a gentleman of his build. Right. You just you That's never know that it's uh, <laughs> ground beef. Exactly. Right. We have nicknamed him, and I cannot say that it has cut on, <laughs> but we're keeping it alive here. But we named him that because he hits a lot of ground balls, and he still does hit a fair amount, although I guess fewer than he has in, in some past seasons. So that's encouraging, and maybe that's part of why he has hit better, if not necessarily for a whole lot more power. But they have him, and they have Franco, and they have some other pretty decent players, but it's it's not a great offense, and, and neither is the Guardians. Like the, the Guardians maybe have a better 
top five, top six, like, you know, they have some some really good players toward the, the top of that lineup or in the top two thirds. And then you get to the bottom and it's like, well, see, this is where it would have been nice to maybe make a trade or make a signing because yeah. this team was obviously good enough to get here. But there still are some holes that you would think could have been shored up and, and they'd look a lot more intimidating. But it's a good defense and it's a good bullpen and you've got Bieber and you've got McKenzie and that's enough to win the requisite two games against yep. the Rays who were certainly not a, a powerhouse. So, you know, I, I think that it's interesting because you could say that the Guardians on the one hand, there's been some research that shows that high contact teams tend to fare a little better than you would expect just because maybe they do a bit better against good velocity that you tend to see more often in the playoffs. On the other hand, it is helpful in the playoffs to be able to hit some home runs so that you do not have to rely on stringing together singles and playing small ball, which the Guardians do. And maybe it is smart for them to do it. Maybe that is the way that they maximize their production with the players that they have on hand, or or maybe it wasn't a conscious choice, like, hey, let's right. do this because it's uh, the best way that we can play. It's just those are the kind of players that they have. I guess right. it's probably a little bit of both, but they are, are pesky. But during the playoffs, it's nice to just bop one once yep. in a while, and they don't bop one all that often. Yeah, it's not that it's the only way to score in the postseason, but it does seem to be, I mean, this is going to sound silly, but you know what I mean, like a consistently impactful way. It's important to be able to hit a long ball when you need a long ball because contact Mm -hmm. is hard to come by. So, you know, they're not necessarily optimized for postseason play, but it's not like they have no one on their in their lineup who can hit a home run. It's just that it's not their primary means of scoring. And it, you know, it doesn't, I don't know that Jose Ramirez has been like particularly incredible of late. And he's mm-hmm. one of those guys really, like, hey, you might hit a home run. Am I wrong about that? I should look. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, he's he's still been his uh, usual kind of down ballot MVP type on the player. Season. Yeah. On the on the season, yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. that in the last month it has been maybe a little bit of a swincy. I'm gonna look and then if I'm wrong, we're gonna cut it all out. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be like Meg was wrong, but no one needs to know. She didn't learn the lesson earlier, but she learned it now. Yeah, 80, 98 WRC+. Plus. I know stuff about baseball. <laughs> yep, he's probably fine. I, I think, think he's, he's fine. Okay. Like, it's a, it's a month. <laughs> who, who cares? But also, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's a thing to say about a guy who's going to be in the postseason. So here I am saying it. Yeah, remember that one year when he... Did actually forget how to hit for a while. That yeah, was a weird one. That was Got weird. A lot, of, a lot of podcast content out of that. Yeah. <laughs> but we owe we owe Jose Ramirez so much. Mm-hmm. And on the NL side, so we talked about the Mets and Padres. Now the Cardinals and and Phillies, kind of a fun matchup. Yeah. Between, gosh, these are sort of dissimilar teams. Of course, you have the Phillies who have made some strides in shoring up their defense, but not a whole lot. I mean, yeah, yeah, they've got Bryson Stott out there and they've got Brandon Marsh out there and that helps a little relative to where they were early in the season. But even looking at team as it's currently constituted it has not been great it's uh it's it's not good at fielding balls and turning them into outs now they do unlike the cardinals really have pitchers who can supply those outs themselves and can maybe miss some bats so again you got to feel pretty good about going into this with 
Nola at least and with Wheeler and beyond that maybe things get a bit dicey and you know everyone just sort of automatically reflexively jokes about the Phillies bullpen this is not nearly as bad as Phillies bullpens have been (laughs) which is a, a low bar to be clearing but I think it is uh, exciting that the Phillies made it in this just extremely inefficient way that they made it, that we knew that they would have to make it, where it was like, they're going to just give back a lot of runs, so they just have to score more runs than they give back. Yes. And they may be positioned to have their boppers and their mashers together and... Bryce Harper, uh, another guy who has not performed up to his usual standards and since he returned from the injury, he has not hit all that well. So I don't know if he is still suffering after effects from that. It's just a weird team. It's just like it's a weird Al Schwarber team. is a, a leadoff hitter, just yeah. 46 homers. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just it doesn't make sense, but it happens and it was just good enough for them to make it here. So I'm kind of looking forward to watching this series. And, you know, as Harper has struggled, JT Real Muto has been fantastic and and made up for his slow start. So it's kind of a fun, entertaining team, even if it shoots itself in the foot sometimes. And then you have the Cardinals who kind of specialize in not shooting themselves in the foot and, as usual, have the good defense and kind of a a pitch-to-contact rotation in front of it. Now, they're maybe one of the teams that you would look at and not be so scared of their top one or top two. I mean, the fact that Jose Quintana is this again, is like a pretty good pitcher again. Not something I necessarily saw coming after his past few years, but they're now trusting him at the top of a playoff rotation, you know, and Jordan Montgomery has has come back to earth a little bit since the great run he was on after the trade, but still solid, pretty reliable. And of course, you had Adam Wainwright, who has not ended the season in a manner that would inspire confidence, but he is still Adam Wainwright. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how they will line things up there, but you know, then they have some some bullpen monsters too, and they have Ryan Helsley and, and other guys who who scare you sort of, but. It is typically kind of a a pitch-to-contact type of team. They want balls in play so that they can turn them into outs, and that is the opposite of the Phillies' approach. So it's kind of a a fun head-to-head in that sense. Yeah, I mean, famously a team composed entirely of DHs playing out of position. I mean, not entirely. I mean, but mostly. They're mostly (laughs) a team of DHs. It's mostly Mm -hmm. a bunch of DHs out there. As opposed to the Cardinals, as you said, who are like whatever the fancy flavor of vacuum cleaner is now. (sighs) Right. Yeah. And, you know, you would tend to prefer the team that misses bats in general, but in the playoffs and the Cardinals are not that. So I think that gives you some some fear i maybe a little of anxiety there's just there's no one in that rotation that you know you feel like you can take to the bank right really i think at this point so there's just going to be some anxiety but that is a, a pretty good offense too and a better offense than maybe we think of the cardinals having in recent yes. years it's it's obviously the the top two of arenado and Goldschmidt and one of those guys is probably going to win an MVP award so they're great but it's not just those guys it's not just Arnado and, and Goldschmidt they're some pretty good contributors arrayed around them now yeah. so I guess I would 
pick the Cardinals in this series. Again, all of these things, no certainty, no confidence whatsoever, but it seems to me that uh, they are perhaps the, the slightly better team and better equipped, again, which you could probably divine just by looking at their regular season record, which frankly is almost as good as any other thing that you could do. Right. But, you know, one has to podcast, so... Yeah. Right. The people demand yeah. that we say things into microphones yeah, and release like, it for their pleasure. Right. Between us going over how many games you have to win at the, in what is at this point excruciating <laughs> detail and my descent into madness, like this mm -hmm. is the content that the people demand. Uh, it'd be great content if the Mariners had a really deep run and you were just oh my frazzled God, in a constant state of frazzlement oh for the God. next month. What, great what, content. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, it's a lot like yesterday where I was like, I feel bad for Otani, but this is tremendous content when Vote <laughs> hit his home mm -hmm. run. Like I had that thought. And I think that this would qualify in the same way where it's like no one has ever been so miserable being so happy. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I meant to mention also that the Padres' bullpen does not inspire much confidence either. That's uh, that's kind of a, a scary bunch from hater on down. Really. Yeah, and he's so. been better lately. But yeah. like when you say lately, you mean like the last 11 innings, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't make you feel like you really got it locked in, mm -hmm. which is a weird thing to say about Josh Hader, but a true thing at this point. So, yeah. And his ERA does not really reflect his peripherals. Uh, his peripherals are, are better and, and not much change from what they were with right. Milwaukee. But also, even with Milwaukee, they were not what we were accustomed to see right. out of Josh Hader or out of your shutdown dominant bullpen dude right so it really does age your peace of mind i think as a playoff watcher if you have a rooting interest like a good bullpen yeah really you know yeah. like a good bullpen can can blow a game but man like the level of anxiety i think we've talked about this before just about like the difference a good bullpen can make to your peace of mind yes as a fan and just how frustrating, like the number of ways that one can be bad, maybe right. one of the, the most frustrating ways is to have just a terrible bullpen. In a sense, it's encouraging because you think maybe it's more fixable than other aspects of the team and, and maybe it will just round into shape somehow as bullpens do from time to time. Yeah. But when it's bad, well, it is just – it's so frustrating yeah. because you just – you feel like you can't come back and every lead is at risk and can just slip out of your grasp. And if you do make it to the playoffs with a spotty bullpen, there is really never a moment that you feel secure and yeah. confident. So my heart goes out to all the, the fans of playoff teams that have undependable bullpens because you're not going to get any peace for however long your team is in it. Yeah, like – and even <laughs> even if you have like a good bullpen, you want a bullpen that like doesn't walk any guys. You want like a mm -hmm. I'm going to strike you out and not walk you and let's go home bullpen because there right. are good bullpens that still make you nervous. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to have a good bullpen. You want like, I mean, really, you want Edwin Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. I think Everyone is what you want. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and it's funny because, you know, you might feel, I don't want to speak for Mets fans, and it's not like the rest of their bullpen has been bad per se, but like, you know, you want to feel more confident getting to Edwin Diaz. It's really funny to think about the, the Mets and the Padres bullpens sort of in contrast to one another because I think, as Jay Jaffe noted in his preview, like, once you get to Edwin Diaz, 
And you're like, okay, we get to we get to go home now. Like, I'm not going to get up to use the bathroom because that feels jinxy. But like, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to get to use it soon. And so it's fine to wait. Right. Yeah. But like, you might feel a little nervous getting to them. Whereas like with the Padres bullpen, like getting to the ninth inning, they often do that quite well. And then you get there and you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to be a little <laughs> nervous. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, maybe we should just do one of our Patreon ones where I just make sounds into a mic for three hours and see how people <laughs> like it. You know, yeah. is it, does it strike them as fun or mostly irritating? I bet mostly irritating. We have to pick our, our Patreon stream days. Don't we, Ben? Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. It would be interesting to have you do that during a Mariners game, oh but I feel God. like you've waited so long, your attention should not be well, divided unless it would help you for it to be divided. <laughs> Take your mind off the anxiety somehow. Well, I'll say the following, which is that we're obviously not doing one during the wild card round because, mm-hmm. you know, it's too much work. Like, I have to do too much work during that time and the division series i don't know we can sort that out but maybe if they make it to the championship series we should do one you know maybe Mm -hmm. like we could do one then maybe we could do one then i'm game yeah you gotta think about it Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. I wanted to mention before we go, I just uh, we have a, a meet a major leaguer here. I've been meaning to deploy this for a while. Meet a major leaguer. I am very eager to meet this nascent major leaguer. It's the thrilling debut of somebody new. Let's meet this mysterious. There was a, as I noted, a a record number of new major leaguers this year. 303 major leaguers made their debuts in the big leagues this year. That is a lot more than the previous most, which I I think was 260-something. So this may be the, the tops, the max, but boy, there are a lot of new big leaguers. And the one that I just wanted to to shout out, I still feel like I haven't fully met him. There are more things that I could certainly learn about him. But I went to the new baseball savant arm strength leaderboard mm. that was published recently. So, you know, MLB parcels out new stat cast data and, and reports to the public in various forms from time to time. And they just released arm strength, which was available for catchers and obviously for pitchers, but not for fielders at other positions. So we would occasionally see the odd O'Neill Cruz throw or or some notable throw, but we couldn't look up averages, let's say. And now you can. And so when I go to that leaderboard... The very top name, the strongest arm, the the highest average throw velocity is one Nate Eaton. Nate, Nate Eaton. Eaton. Yes. Nate Eaton of the Kansas City Royals. 113 tracked throws, a max of 103.3 miles per hour, and an average of 98.1. And that is the top. And under Nate Eaton, you have some better-known names. Ronald Acuna Jr., for instance, is the second name on that list. And this is a a fun leaderboard to play around with, and and I would encourage everyone to check out Mike Petriello's piece, which was paired with it, sort of an explainer about how to use this data responsibly. 
it's interesting because you can see the averages at each position. So, for example, unsurprisingly, the highest arm strengths, the the fastest throws belong to right fielders on average mm, and sure. the least hard throws belong to first basemen sure. on average. But one of the interesting things is kind of a chicken and an egg situation. It's like, okay, second baseman, they have the second lowest average throw velocity, but is that because they are making a short throw from second and therefore they do not need to throw it as hard? Or is it because they are incapable of throwing it that hard and thus that's why they're second baseman? So it's tough to untangle those entirely, but you can compare what players who played multiple positions do and you can see that there is a, a tendency for players who you know presumably have the same arm strength wherever they are stationed they will throw harder from certain positions and part of it is that they might need to make the harder throw and part of it is that they're just in a better position to throw if you're an outfielder and you can get your whole body behind it as opposed to if you're a second baseman and you're angled and maybe your momentum's not taking you that way and then you have the whole issue of like how often do first basemen actually even make competitive throws and you have right. to figure out what the cutoff is there. So it's interesting. I'm glad to have this data, but it introduced me to, to Nate Eaton, who I had not thought of for a while. And when I did a little digging to figure out Nate Eaton, who is that again? I remembered that this is one of the Kansas City Royals who was called up during the COVID apocalypse of the Kansas City Royals. So when they had to call up a substantial portion of a baseball team to play in Toronto because they had so many unvaxxed players, Nate Eaton was one of the players they called up. And in fact... Nate Eaton hit a home run in his major league debut, which the Royals won 3-1 to over the Blue Jays, despite being shorthanded. They were so excited. Yeah, and Nate Eaton has not homered since. <laughs> so, so he homered in that game, and he has uh, amassed 122 plate appearances in the regular season this year in 44 games, I believe. He was sent down and came back up again, but he has managed a 103 OPS+. plus. So he's been about a league average hitter, even though the one home run was not sustained. But he's done decently well. He's held his own. He has stolen 11 bases in 12 attempts. He is a a speedy man, not just his arm strength, but also his legs. A lot of parts of Nate Eaton are pretty fast and work pretty well. He is 25 years old. He turns 26 in December. He was drafted by the Royals in the 21st round of the 2018 draft out of Virginia Military Institute in Lexington, Virginia. And he was called up to replace whichever COVID person was not available. I think he he was uh, at AAA at the time, and he had an 886 OPS in AAA. He's not a top prospect or anything, but the arm strength was known to people who know prospects. So looking at the Kansas City Royals top 47 prospects from this past May, Nate Eaton ranked 35th. And here's what the little blurb about Nate Eaton said. Eaton has below average offensive ability, but he can play a variety of positions and he has one of the best throwing arms in professional baseball. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Well-spotted, well-scouted, Fangraph's staff. A rocket launcher that might merit a look on the mound, 
Mm. If and when Eaton and the industry declare him to have plateaued as a position player. So that's interesting. Yeah. No one is saying that about Ronald Acuna, but if you're Nate Eaton and you have maybe the best throwing arm of any position player in baseball, now, you know, if he could keep being an average bat, then that would probably not be a consideration. Right. But he does play multiple positions. He's played some center. He's played left. He's played right. He's played a little third base as well. And he did do some pitching in college, I believe. So he does have a history of that. Just reading from a Baseball America story, Royals see a lot to like from Nate Eaton. This was from May of 2019. Some clubs were scouting Eaton as a pitcher. In 2017, the Summer College Coastal Plain League, he logged four saves with a 1.26 ERA while striking out 16 and allowing just six hits in 14 in the third innings. He made 17 relief appearances last year for VMI. So he does have a little bit of a, a pitching background. He was actually drafted as a catcher. Even though he did not catch in college, he played catcher in high school, which was interesting. (laughs) So the Royals, J.J. Piccolo, now GM, said we drafted him as a catcher, but he has not caught for us because we like his speed and defensive versatility enough that we don't think we'd benefit by catching him, especially because he hadn't even been a catcher in college. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But he's fast. He plays a bunch of positions and he does throw extremely hard. He stole a school record 36 bases as a redshirt sophomore. So something to watch. Yeah. Hopefully he'll keep hitting and that'd be nice. And he was worth a a tidy one win above replacement, according to baseball reference in his 44 games, which was nice. But if anything should happen to that offensive line, I I sound like I'm threatening it, but I'm not. (laughs) But if he can't keep that up, he has a second act potentially available to him and the arm strength leaderboard backs that up. So just wanted to share that because I I saw some other people remarking in various places when MLB released this new leaderboard. There was kind of a collective Nate Eaton. Yeah, who's (laughs) that? that? Yeah, that echoed from the hills. So now you know who Nate Eaton is. Wow. Well, everyone should just read our prospect list and then they know stuff, huh? Exactly. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Well... I'm glad to know Nate Eaton. I had a medium major leaguer, but I got to go. So can we not do okay. it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Is he a, he's a Mariner. He's Might a Mariner. We meet him? Maybe we'll meet him. Is yeah. he on the playoff roster? I don't think so. I oh, was going to well, do Brian O'Keefe. Him. Anyway, okay. I'm just doing a medium major leaguer in like 20 seconds. Brian O'Keefe was a, a rule five guy. And when Kirk Casale and his wife welcomed a baby and Kirk Casale couldn't be there for a game, he came up and he got a hit and he got to celebrate. He got a hit in Saturday. Saturday's, uh, last Saturday's win against the A's, and he got to celebrate with the Mariners when they clinched, and he's mm-hmm. a catcher, and it was a beautiful story. But no, I don't think he's going to make the the postseason roster. Mm-hmm. It would be surprising. I think some something would have to befall one of their other catchers for it to happen. But he, is, he had been in pro ball for nine years across oh, two nice. different organizations and all in the uh, minor leagues. And then he got called up and he had two day, two-ish days in the big leagues. I was going to do more research, but then I had to get grocery shopping done mm-hmm. so that I could have soup. 
Yeah, got a stockpile for the yeah. playoffs. But people were very excited about it for him. And uh, it's one of those things where it's like, when you know, when you clinch your first playoff berth in 20 some odd years on a Friday, then on Saturday, you can just be excited for this guy who is like a rule five pick and is getting to have his his first taste of the bigs because you're not worried about like a decisive, potentially playoff clinching um, plate appearance coming down to this guy, which would make it very pressure packed and perhaps too much. No, you just get to be happy for him because uh, you know it's exciting. Not as exciting mm-hmm. as making the playoffs for the first time in a long right. time, but exciting nonetheless. Yeah, I meant to mention by the way when we talked about the race, just Tyler Glass now is like the number two starter on this team yeah. suddenly, and you know who knows what starter means for a Tampa Bay Ray ever. Right. But I love when someone comes back just at the tail end of the regular season or just like returns in the playoffs after a long absence and you never know what you're going to get. Glasnow's looked pretty good so far, but coming off, you know, serious injury and surgery and and long layoff, but they're kind of counting on him now. And, and, you know, he looked more or less like himself in his short outings, but I love that. You know, you have the Yankees, right, who who could get Matt Carpenter and then Drew Benatendi back right. and Clay Holmes. And, you know, they have a bunch of kind of injured guys and, and Spencer Strider, who has not been out that long. But Marte, like just a lot of guys who, you know, Tyler O'Neill and Jordan Hicks, like a lot of banged up players there yeah. always are at this stage of yeah. the season. But when someone comes back who has not been there all season long and suddenly you're like counting on them to pitch pretty important playoff innings, it's like I didn't even know he was going to be part of this season. It's like when when Anthony Rendon returned to the Angels at the end of the season. It's like I I thought we said that was it for you this year. And look at you. You're back. And I know that was like partly because he had a suspension to serve. But also he was like playing games. So he was healthy enough to, to do that. So that's nice. And lastly, also meant to say that Nate Eaton will have a new manager next season. That's Just right. wanted to, to note that the Royals, not unexpectedly, have begun to make some changes uh, yes. post-Dayton Moore's dismissal. So they have let go of manager Mike Matheny as well as pitching coach Cal Eldred, whom I think was uh, ticketed for perhaps departure for quite some time, at least yeah. by many Royals fans who were ticketing yeah. him for departure for quite a while. Yeah. So... Not surprising, but it does sound like there may be a lot of turnover yeah. manager-wise this offseason, which is interesting because there already was a fair amount of turnover right. by recent standards during the season. But yeah. Ken Rosenthal just wrote an article about you know eight teams with decisions to make. Now, one of them was the Angels, and they have decided to bring back Phil Nevin, and we talked about the Dusty Baker situation the other day. But there are a bunch of teams that either they haven't hired a permanent manager yet or they might be in the market for a new one or to make a change of some sort. So stay tuned for that. There will be some some managerial hiring processes going on. Do you think Phil Nevin knew he was coming back? Because he had he had the facial expression of a man who did not think that he was going to have a job in a couple of weeks for a lot of the end of the Angels season. He just and yeah. maybe, you know. I have a very expressive face. This is one of the reasons that I don't play poker because mm-hmm. I could not bluff successfully. It's just all right there on mm-hmm. my face. So maybe he's like me. Maybe he just doesn't have a good resting face. But if not, I wonder if he was like, oh, do I, I still have a job? That's fantastic. I thought yeah, it was going to be 
out of here because he looked like he thought that. Yeah, the, the Angels did worse <laughs> under him than they did under Joe Madden. I yeah, mean, they, they were did. 27 and 29 under Madden this year. They were 46 and 60 under Nevin. Maybe it's just a case of like, you know, they're they're exploring selling that team and maybe they just like don't want to make a whole bunch of changes and go through a long process like would they right. even be able to to hire someone now? There's right. Who would? You know, it's like Otani's yeah. last season under contract, and maybe they just feel like let's resolve this. Let's let's get Artie Moreno out of here, perhaps, and we'll have new ownership, and and then we'll worry about this if we're even still around at that right. point. The people who would be hiring the manager. So maybe it's just sort of a a stopgap situation. And and hey, he's there. So. Did we make mention of the arbitration avoiding deal that the Angels and Otani reached? Did we make mention of that? No, but they did do that. $30 million man next year, eh? That's a lot. That's (laughs) a lot. uh, It's a record, right? So I would imagine so. I think the most, mm -hmm. the the next highest number was probably set by bets, I would imagine. Yes, I think that's right. Coming Mm -hmm. off his MVP year, and I think that he was set to make less than $30 million. Mm -hmm. So, yep. Well, good for Shohei. Yeah. He's cashing in. (laughs) All right. Don't put it in crypto. Otani. No, please do not. I got a a DM from Colin McAvoy while we were speaking, our uh, author of the Stephen Vogt Wikipedia page, who Mm. said, because our conversation was directly before I went to bed last night, I had a dream that you mentioned the Stephen Vogt article on your podcast. Well, that has come true. But then you also polled your listenership for any MLB player they chose, and whoever it was, I had to expand their Wikipedia (laughs) article. I don't remember the rest of the dream, so I don't know which player got picked. Well, we won't assign him homework, but if he wants some, we're happy to, you know, help direct his talents. Yes. How many uh, references on Williams Astadio's Wikipedia page? A measly 25. We can do better than that. Come on. How long is Mike Trout's Wikipedia page? Oh, I'm sure it's quite a bit longer than. Oh, hey, look at that! I'm uh, I'm on Williams's page at least, so that's nice. <laughs> Someone added me to there. <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of room to expand Mike Trout's Wikipedia page, so that yeah. that would be a very effectively wild choice, but mm-hmm. perhaps too obvious. All right. Well, we will end there. Enjoy the wild card games, and we will reconvene on Sunday, hopefully, and we will talk about. All or some of them, depending on how they end and how many we can get in. Oh, boy. All right. Let me leave you with the Pass Blast. This is episode 1913, and so the Pass Blast comes from episode 1913 and from Jacob Pumranke, Sabres Director of Editorial Content and Chair of the Black Sox Scandal Research Committee. Not too far away from the Black Sox Scandal. But here we are in 1913, and Jacob is writing about taking one for the team. On July 12, 1913, Boardwalk Brown of the Philadelphia A's set a modern baseball record by walking 15 batters and still recording a win against the Detroit Tigers. The A's ran up a 10-1 lead, and the Tigers stranded the bases loaded in five different innings until manager Connie Mack finally lost patience with the 24-year-old right-hander. Here's what the Philadelphia Inquirer had to say about his performance. Quote, In spite of all this wildness, he did not force in a run until the 8th. He had decided early that there was no use pitching unless the bases were full. 
Five times in the eight innings, he toiled until all sacks were loaded, yet until the tempestuous semifinal round, only one Tiger got to the cashing station. As long as Brown was good in the tight places, Mack was content to let him throw his arm out by passing good, bad, and indifferent batters. As the eighth inning progressed, a mathematical scorer estimated that he had pitched about 200 balls, or more than enough for two full games. Jacob writes, Brown was relieved by Eddie Plank in the eighth inning, and the A's won the game 16-9. Brown won 17 games in 1913, but Connie Mack didn't trust him to pitch in the World Series against the Giants. He was traded to the Yankees the next year and was out of baseball by the age of 27. No other pitcher has come close to Boardwalk Brown's record since. Only one pitcher in the last 30 years has even stayed in long enough to reach 10 walks while also recording a win, and that was a knuckleballer, Tim Wakefield of the Pirates, who threw 172 pitches and walked 10 Braves batters in a game in April 1993. Boardwalk Brown. I imagine that the audience was bored by walks. His real name was Carol Brown, and he pitched 731 major league innings over five years and was sub-replacement level, at least according to baseball reference. His Sabre bio is still unclaimed, so you could be the biographer of Boardwalk Brown if you're interested. Okay, I wanted to specify that the Stephen Vogt episode, the first one, wasn't actually all that long ago. I blame the pandemic for distorting my sense of time, making me think it was longer ago than it was. But it was actually episode 1633. That was December 2020. That's when we talked about Vote's page for the first time, I believe, and ran the numbers on the longest player Wikipedia pages. You can find Colin McAvoy, by the way, on Twitter at YesIt'sColin if you want to request that he lend his signature Wikipedia work to your favorite player. And he has a couple of books with his wife, Lynn Olnoff, on Amazon. Fatal Jealousy, The True Story of a Doomed Romance, A Singular Obsession and a Quadruple Murder, and Love Me or Else. The True Story of a Devoted Pastor, a Fatal Jealousy, and the Murder that Rocked a Small Town. Just a little light reading for you. Also, a couple people responded to our discussion of attendance figures. We noted last time that the Rangers and the Reds were the only teams to actually lose fans on a per-game basis this year. And as some people pointed out, this had crossed my mind, I forgot to mention it, but we were wondering why the Rangers, the Reds, it's obvious they did everything they could to drive their fans away, but the Rangers did make some investments in that team, so why did they have their attendance decline as well? There was probably a bit of a new ballpark bounce last year, so not only was Globe Life Fields open from the start of the season, but also it was a lot of fans' first chance to see it because that park had opened in 2020 when there were no fans and then there were a few fans in the playoff bubble. The Rangers were possibly deprived of a little bit of the new park bounce, but there probably was some last year, so that would explain why there was a lower per-game attendance this season, along with the fact that the team wasn't good, but I'm sure that was part of it. Also, got a lot of suggestions about how to stream baseball, how to watch playoff baseball. There was one website that people seemed to find helpful that tells you what you need to get to cover various channels, so you can look up what your streaming needs are and what would be the best way to fill them. It's suppose.tv slash TV, suppose.tv slash TV. So you can check that out if you're in the same boat that I was with not knowing how to watch the playoffs because you cut the cord. I'll link to that site on the show page as well as a helpful recent post on the baseball subreddit, which is titled Your Guide to Streaming Playoff Baseball and has a lot of good info. 
Although it seems like a lot of international subscribers to MLB TV are in a tizzy because they just discovered or MLB just decided that playoff baseball will not be available for international subscribers through MLB TV like it has in the past. And it seems like that has taken people by surprise that it was not a pleasant surprise. Not great if that was just changed in the last minute, but it looks like a lot of international watchers are in the same boat that those of us are domestically. But there's some info on the subreddit post about that as well. And lastly, I noted last week that I had gone to City Field to talk to Marlins ace and probable NL Cy Young winner Sandy Alcantara. The article that came of that is available now. It's on the ringer.com and I will link to it on the show page. I also wrote about Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay ad-free, and get themselves access to some perks. Ted Trotman, Adam Bliss, Matthew Richards, Brad Bell, and Andrew Avery. Thanks to all of you. And a bunch of people have been signing up lately. This is a great month to sign up. As I mentioned, Patreon perks include access to a couple of playoff live streams where we just yammer and maybe get some guests and friends on to yammer while our Patreon supporters listen along and watch their broadcasts and also chat. We will have info sent out about that soon. And as I always say, check out the Effectively Wild Patreon Discord group. Just about to hit 800 members and it's a great place to talk about postseason baseball you also get access to monthly bonus episodes and discounts on merch and fan graphs at free memberships and more. There are 11 bonus episodes there just for the listening. So if you sign up, you get almost a year's worth of those. You can just keep listening to us. You can never not listen to us. You can also contact us via email at podcast at fangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing and production assistance. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the wild card round, and we will be back to discuss it early next week. Did you hear about St. Stephen's in? How they stoned them by the river bend In the morning sun When the 